0: A lot of things have happened in just that turn of a page right there between 1st Timothy and 2nd Timothy I'm going to give you an outline of the um, chronology but keep in mind there is a lot of debate on it but you know this is close enough the details they're not they're not too important what's important though is that we understand what is going on the background what's happening to Paul what's happening to the church and it helps us to understand and to really feel this epistle. In 58 A.D., again, all dates are approximate, Paul is arrested in Jerusalem. And in 61 A.D., several years later, he arrives in Rome. From 61 to 63 A.D., he is imprisoned in Rome. Between 64 to 67 A.D., he's released, and he when he gets out, He is everywhere, traveling all over, planting churches, um, raising up disciples, going everywhere. But then in 67 AD, he's arrested again. That's when he writes this epistle. This is the last year of his life. 67 AD, Nero is the Caesar over all of Rome. Nero is one of the baddest of the bad when it comes to leader in the Roman Empire especially towards Christians he burns half the city of Rome he sets it on fire it's arson because he wanted to remodel it but then he blames it on Christians instead says oh these Christians did it and then there's a major persecution that that goes all over in the Roman Empire it's in 68 AD uh, months after this epistle is written, not even a year, through uh, our church tradition, that we learn that Paul is beheaded by Caesar Nero for not compromising on the gospel, sharing the gospel. You know, in this epistle, we're going to feel that Paul knows his time is up. He knows that he's soon going to be in the presence of the Lord. But these are dark, dark Times, But the other thing that you're going to feel, though, is that he has no idea what's happening. Because he kind of seems to be in a little bubble. Let's jump into verse 1. And you'll see what I'm saying. Verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy... A beloved Son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my fathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you which dwelt first in your grandmother Louise and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Here he is, he's in a Roman prison. He knows his time is coming. There is persecution, is rampant, there is church heresy. He's going to list several people that have wronged him personally in this epistle. And then he's also going to mention those that have just ditched the faith entirely, completely abandoned him, uh, alone. And yet here he is talking about joy, being filled with joy. And he's talking about his beloved son in the faith, Timothy himself. Man, I, can't, I I can't stop thinking about you Timothy. Praying for you night and day and just thinking about you, I am filled with so much joy. The key to being filled with joy in times of sorrow is to think of others and not yourself. To be Christ-centered We will all go through sorrow. We will all go through grief. We will all suffer loss. We will all have times of testing and times of trial, times of great fear. And Paul is not telling us to turn off those emotions. That was a popular teaching in his time. It's called Stoicism, or to be a Stoic. That means nothing affects me. An island unto yourself. That's Stoicism. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's saying that true joy comes from God, not from your surroundings, not from your situation. No, that doesn't bring joy. Unfortunately, Christians are kind of thought of as just smiling all the time, no matter what. And if something really bad happens, you're just supposed to smile and pretend like it doesn't exist. That's not what's going on here. Scriptures talk about times of anguish and pain and tears. Our Lord Jesus, who is our great example, cried openly several times, weeping with those that weep, rejoicing with those that rejoice. But in the midst of that, you can have joy, and you can conquer fear. And it's found there in the greeting from the grace, mercy, And peace from God, the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. All comes from Him. All comes from our Father. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And you know, the the more we focus on what we don't have, the more fear, the more sorrow, the more anguish, the more grief that we go through. Instead of meditating on the things of God, instead of meditating on the Word of God, instead of lifting our eyes up, looking to the heavens the psalmist says where does my help come from my help comes from the lord you just go through the psalms and those times of trial you can flip to almost any of them and they will begin with moments of great anguish great doubt great trials lord your blessing it seems as though you're blessing the unjust it seems like you're blessing the wicked when will you bring your judgment But then towards the end of every psalm, as the psalmist, whoever the author, whether it's David or one of the other authors, inspired by the Holy Spirit, you see them start to take the focus off themselves. And where do they start to focus? On God. And as they're focusing on Him and His glory, you see their countenance change in their writings. And Paul, in the position he's in right now in this scripture, he couldn't be in a worse place, practically, death sentence. He's going to be tortured to death. Neglected by his own friends, his own family. Yet he has great joy. And in doing so, he's encouraging Timothy. He says in verse 6, I remind you to stir up the gift of God. I remind you to stir up the gift. Put that in his context. He's in a dungeon. He's in jail. He's been shipwrecked. He's been stoned. He's been Caused riots and chased out of town, and he's had personal friends that are close to him neglect him and abandon him and abandon the faith. And yet, he's encouraging Timothy hey, don't you need to stir up your gifts, my beloved son? I want to see you do well to deny yourself so that others can succeed. And that is ministry. We've been looking at a, a ministry mindset in these epistles, these pastoral epistles. T- to be a pastor or a leader in the church is to deny yourself to pick up the cross and follow after Jesus. That means that those that are serving, those that are leading in any capacity, you argue with your wife and you have a fight and then you've got to lead the children's ministry, you don't take it on on those kids. You deny yourself. You deny your flesh and you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you and you continue to lead and guide and direct. doesn't mean he has great joy. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of wisdom and sound mind. The key to ministry is to realizing that this isn't about you. It's about them. It's about others. And it's about others for the Father, for the kingdom, because they're his children. 8-12 Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed." For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Again, notice his focus. Everything that he's focusing on is a gift from God, what God is doing. God has given grace. God has given mercy. God has given peace. He has given us power. He has defeated death. All these things are through Christ Jesus. He's abolished death, and he's brought life. Nowhere here do you see him complaining about where he is, although he does acknowledge that, hey, he's suffering. But he's saying, my suffering has a purpose. Does your suffering have a purpose? Your trials have a purpose. The spiritual warfare that you go through, the wrestling in your mind with doubt or confusion or angst or Suddenly wondering why you're having a great week until Wednesday and Sunday. What is it about Wednesdays and Sundays that always there's some kind of spiritual warfare? Does it have a purpose? Because listen, 10 out of 10 people are going to die. And 10 out of 10 people are going to suffer in this planet. At one point or another. Some more, some less. Some will do it physically, some emotionally, some spiritually. A little bit of all of the above for everybody. But for many people, it has absolutely no purpose. No purpose whatsoever. It's just living under the curse. But not so for the Christian. Everything that you go through, everything that you experience, works together for the good. The Bible says in the book of Romans, all things work together for the good for those who love God. Not one minute of your grief is wasted. Not one second of sorrow. Not one moment of ridicule. The people that are in China or in Pakistan or in North Korea that have death hanging over them and they choose Christ and they lose everything and they're martyred on the spot, lose nothing. The world has taken nothing from them. We don't pity them. We pray for their families. We pray for those that are lost and those that are left. And we weep with those that weep, as we said earlier. But they haven't lost anything. In fact, they've walked into a great inheritance for the faith. That brings us joy in the midst of great trial. But that is what so often we're missing the kingdom mindset you know you have a uh you know the, the, the story of grandpa in all of his wisdom in all of his life he is now passing away at home he's laying in the bed and he calls his grandchildren in for one last word the grandkids come in they're sitting by the bed he can't really talk too much he has to whisper they have to come in close But the grandkids who are always jumping all over the walls, they're always screaming, they're always having a great time, always giggling, always being kids. That's what kids do. But in this moment, they're absolutely silent. Why? Because they know that whatever is going to be said next is so important. And they listen, as he says weakly, whatever it is. It's going to be the most important words. It's going to be the summary, the thesis of this man's life, what he wants to pass on. That's what's happening with Paul here. And Paul wastes no time talking about himself. It's all about others, and it's all about God, what God is doing. Listen, he's saying, if, if there's anything, Timothy, that I'm going to pass on to you in my last will and testament here, it's going to be to stir up your gifts and to focus on God these sufferings that we're going through, don't be ashamed of them, Timothy. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of his walk. Don't be ashamed of mine. And Focus on God. What is God doing in your life? There are some that serve in ministry with me, they get so annoyed, I can tell. They won't admit it, but I can tell. Because I ask them, hey, what's the Lord sharing with you? How's your relationship with the Lord? What's the Lord telling you? Or they'll ask me a question, and they're looking for a serious pastoral answer. They're looking for me to tell them what God's telling them. I don't know what God's telling you except for what's in this book. But then I'll ask these questions that they can be real annoyed. Well, what did God tell you about that? What did the Lord show you about that? What's the Lord saying to you? And I can say, oh, you know, that's not really scriptural. I don't know. We'll wait. We'll pray about it. Oh, you know, I'll wait for the confirmation from the Lord. I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, yeah, that's the Lord. Pfft. Yeah, Lord told me you need to tithe more. No. No. But Paul's saying the same thing. Hey, focus on the Lord, focus on what he's doing. This is important. This is my last words. This is, this is the ministry in a nutshell. Ministry is not about growing churches, ministry is not about making huge organizations that self replicate and sell, sell books. And it's definitely not about Twitter feeds. I'm gonna warn you, I'm stepping on a soapbox here for a second I'm getting because you see all this marketing for organizations and how to have the best religious organization where Jesus is the mascot, that is not ministry. That is not service. The word ministry means service. The titles that are given to the saints that serve in ministry in the New Testament our slave, under rower, servant, least of all, sent one. That's ministry. That's what we sign up for to serve God, to serve Jesus. And it costs. It costs deeply, or like we said earlier, it may cost you now, but you will lose nothing. The Lord will not owe you anything ever you're never going to be in the kingdom like man i got shortchanged. the lord wasn't gracious with me man these rewards they're not what i thought they were going to be that will never happen ever how great is our god in romans chapter 6 verse 23 it says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord it's a gift he owes you nothing he doesn't owe you great ministry. He doesn't owe you a revival. He doesn't, you, he doesn't owe you anything. He's given you his only begotten son, a free gift, so that you could have eternal life in him. Eternal life. Jesus said that I came so that you would have life and life more abundantly. Life more abundantly. Not, not sorrow for the rest of your life. Not persecution for the rest of your life. He came to give you victory over sin, death, and the devil. And that's what Paul said here. The appearing of our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ, in verse 10, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher for the Gentiles. If you're called to ministry, that's what you're called to. It doesn't have anything to do with you. It doesn't have anything to do with you getting rewards. It doesn't have anything to do with you promoting yourself or marketing yourself. It has everything to do with testifying to the world that Jesus Christ is everything. He's done it all. He's given it all. He's created it all. And he holds it all together. That's what we are here for. That's where life is. And so that is what Paul is saying in verses 13 through 18. He says, hold fast the pattern of sound words which, I, which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which has, was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me, at Ephesus, Paul starts dropping names. He mentions more people in 2 Timothy than he does in any of his letters. Very personal, this epistle. And he has had those that were close to him that have betrayed him. They've abandoned him. They've left him. It happens. In chapter 4 of this epistle, he's going to talk about a man named Demas who abandoned him in the middle of ministry abandoned just up and left and there's a lot to be said here for loyalty to stick it through in the tough times it's a part of what makes our fellowship here in the low country so tight is that we've gone through tough difficult times and some people stay and some people don't But those that have gone through those tough, difficult times together, they just have a bond, a spiritual bond. And the more that you stick around, if you're new, the more that you're engrafted in through the Holy Spirit. You have that same struggling together with us, the same prayers, the same yearning that Jesus Christ is glorified in all that we do. Sometimes it seems like it costs. It costs physically, you know, it costs spiritually. It just, you know, if you're in ministry and you're serving, I want to encourage you. You will go through warfare, and everyone does, spiritual warfare. It's tough. We fight against an enemy, and not everybody makes it. Not everybody sticks it out. And the sad thing is that when you're in ministry together with other people, and they leave, it seems like they're prospering because the enemy leaves them alone. They're always going to go after the biggest target, the enemy. And you're like, man, they have it so easy. I mean, what did and I got it so rough, and maybe I should go too. Stick it out. The Lord knows, and he will never owe you anything. And that's why Paul says there in verse 13, what does he say? Hold fast. And maybe you're you're thinking of quitting tonight. I don't know your heart. I don't know what the Lord is telling you, but I do know the Scripture says, hold fast. Hold fast. Hold fast to that devotion time. Hold fast to that prayer time. Hold fast to that brother or that sister that's driving you crazy, and you just you just want to get away. Pray for that person, and hold fast. Hold the faith. Hold the line. Because here, Paul is in that prison, that dungeon he's by the grace of God and through the Holy Spirit, he's touched so many lives and yet so many are turning against him, betraying him. But not everybody. Oh, Onisophorus, All time and eternity, Onisophorus will be known for his loyalty and his grace and his love. What will you be known for in times, time future? They remember you and your walk and your your life, will you be an Anisiphorus or will you be a Phygelus and a Hermogenes? What will you be remembered for? And more importantly, what will the Lord remember you for? Will it be for faithfulness? Or will it be for your entrepreneurial spirit and trying out new things? I'm saying that in a really nice way for, for church hopping. Those are, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to try something new. Oh, you yeah, know, I'll try this person out. I'll try that church out. Oh, that was neat. That was nice. And never never plugging in, never fighting the fight, never getting into a relationship, never being a part of a family where people's feelings get hurt, where, where they're just hodgepodge. I want to be known as an Anisiphorus faithful, loyal, gracious, I want people to know me as a leader and as a Christian as when the difficult times came, I was there. That's what I want to be known for. That when everyone else abandons, when the other pastor doesn't call, that I call, that I'm there. Now I'm going to mess up because I'm a man of like passions. I can't do everything that that I wish I could do. But by the grace of God, that's what I want to be known for. That's what I want to do. When you have a family trial, I pray that I am there. I'm your anisiphorus, and I pray likewise. And if there's anything that, you know, people that serve with me that I constantly reiterate is that it's so important to be real. It is so important to be authentic, to really love the Lord, to really love those you serve with, and to really love each person that comes through this door. You are not a number if you come to this fellowship. If you come to this fellowship, you're not just a member. You're not just on the roll. You're not, you're not just a tither. Because my Lord Jesus, he gave his life so that each and every person that believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He gave himself. That has eternal value that I can never touch. The glory of God. And that's, I feel encouraged. You know, I, I feel when I'm reading these with this portion of Scripture, I'm reading 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. I feel as if I am Timothy or Titus. I feel like Paul is mentoring me personally because you can feel his passion and his love and his conviction for his son in the faith. And it really will uh, help you understand, you know, because we're a little bit more intimate on Wednesday nights, my relationship with my pastor. That's how I feel for him because yeah, So if you roll your eyes every time I talk about him, now you know. I don't, don't feel bad. You don't hurt my feelings. How vital Jesus Christ is, that in all area of ministry, no matter what you're going through, no matter what trial, he is your anchor of salvation, as it says in the book of Hebrews. Not this church, not this fellowship, and not me. We will let you down. He will never leave you nor forsake you. As much as I want to answer every phone call, I won't, I'll forget. As much as I want to be available all the time, sometimes I have to hit ignore. But Jesus Christ will never, ever do that. He's Almighty God, the Father, and his Son, and the Holy Spirit, when you come to him in prayer, wherever you're at, he's already on the other line. You don't even have to wait for it to ring. You don't have to see when you contact the Lord through prayer, oh, is he typing a text message back? Oh, is he thinking? You know, the three little dots? What is he typing? What's taking so long? He's already there with the response the moment you've got it down. He He's available. And he's the greatest gift that we have, and that is the focus of everything that we do. And in closing, that is the key to ministry. And that's what Paul is emphasizing over and over and over again here at the very end. At the very end. And that's why Paul, he's going to tell us in chapter 4, in the end of this epistle, he's going to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith go through that backwards with me we need to keep the faith we need to finish this race but we really need to realize that we are in a good fight this isn't a good amusement park here this isn't a good movie where we just sit down and we just our relationship with god's all about feeling good all the time and paul says i fought the good fight i finished the race i have kept the faith and that is our goal That's what this is all about. And in the midst of all that, you'll have joy from God. Let's spend the rest of this evening just going before the Lord, receiving from Him, speaking to Him, having Him move just through the moving of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us through prayer as we gather together at the feet of the Master. Let's pray. Father God, as we go through this time of prayer, Father, we pray that You would be leading us and directing us. Pray that You would stir up that gifting in us, Lord. And most importantly, stir up that love and that passion for you that Paul was talking about. I pray that you be honored here in Jesus' name.